So four games are in the books in the Maple Leafs' first round series with the Lightning. We are all tied up at two games apiece. Uh, Nick, Keith, we're back together here. Uh, the mood doesn't really feel like a, a tied series, though, does it right now? Yeah, no, not really. Um, I think I said this on Twitter last night, but like, you know, if you were to tell me before the series that they'd be, you know, uh, tied 2-2 and, you know, have a best of three with, with home ice, I, I think I would have signed off on that knowing, you know, knowing how good of a team Tampa is and just, you know, everything else that comes with the Leafs in the postseason. And, and I think we've seen flashes, probably more than flashes. It's not probably not fair to say flashes, but we've seen long periods of time where the Leafs have been the better team in this series. And I think with all, you know, in saying all that, you should feel a little more optimistic about this. But I think knowing the way that the last game went, um, you know, we're still, that's still a little raw right now. It's still kind of coming off of that. But also at the same time, none of these games have looked the same. Like none of the game, none of these games have looked the same. Players in the series haven't looked the same from game to game. There hasn't really been any kind of consistency. It's close, a close series, but none of the games have been that close. It's just, it's a weird one, but also it's because we've seen, you know, Campbell is a perfect example of it. We've seen him pretty much steal a game and then we've seen him just be, you know, not very good, uh, not good enough anyways. And uh, same with, same thing with like Matthews and Marner. They, you know, in game one, they looked like, okay, this is, you know, they're, they're going to do this. Like they're going to take over the series and then, you know, kind of gone a little cold now. So it's hard to, it's hard to kind of live and die by each game when you, when you haven't really seen anything carry over from one game to the other. You know, that's kind of what it's all about at this time of year though, isn't it? It's the, the whole roller coaster nature of the postseason and just how important each game is that kind of dictates how you, you feel as a fan and the more emotionally invested you are, the, the higher those highs will be and the lower the lows will be. And I think kind of in that regard, starting off the series on such a high note, uh, game one probably couldn't have gone much more perfectly for the Leafs. And I think just kind of the way that things have felt in, in each successive game since then, uh, you know, the, Tampa obviously took game two. And then I think in game three, the first one down in Tampa, while the, the underlying numbers might not really bear it out, I think that Tampa was the better team in the third game and Toronto is probably lucky to be coming away with a split after the two games in Tampa. Jack Campbell was a star in game three and frankly, the Leafs didn't show up at all for game four. So, so can, I, can I just get kind of like a status report from you guys on where, where each of you are with like the, the chicken littling of all this? Because like this is kind of how it goes in the playoffs, right? Like one game happens, everyone extrapolates the entire remaining series based on those 60 minutes. And then the next game happens and the entire calculus changes again. And we continue to repeat this process with each game. So like you can count me out on this like little like every two days circling of the wagons thing that's going on. Like, as far as I'm concerned, this is basically where I expected things to stand after four games. You know, my prediction before the series was Leafs and seven. Obviously, some bigger issues cropped up in game four than we saw in the previous games. But like, like there's always far less carryover from game to game than we make it out to be from the outside. I think you got to win game five. Uh, like if they lose that, then I'm, I'm probably going to be right there with with everybody else whose sky is falling. But overall my confidence has you know maybe waned slightly since the start of the series but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good overall yeah like I don't we've seen like I said before we've seen every game look completely different like I don't know if you know there's necessarily this big swing because of the last game I think 
if anything, it should, you know, you would hope that it just pisses the Leafs off and they just come out flying the same way that Tampa kind of came out flying in game two. Like when, you know, when they were embarrassed in, in game one. So you, you, these guys, you, you hope that that's what you see. Now, I know the cynic and everybody is going to say, like, have you never seen, you know, this Toronto Maple Leafs team before? And they don't really have the old killer instinct thing or like the, you know, when they're pissed off and back against the wall. But we've seen it all year this year. And I know it's different in the playoffs, but this year we said it constantly how they felt like a different team. Well, it's time for them to kind of do that now. So, uh, yeah, you're right, Cam. Like, I, I do have the confidence that they're going to come out in game, you know, in, in game five and, and look great. And I, the one kind of, thing that i i feel pretty deeply about is whoever wins game five is going to win the series like that's that's what it kind of feels like right now so i don't i don't love the the i don't love the leafs chances of winning two in a row but right now they don't have to yeah i think you nail it keith it's just kind of the the history of this team it allows those bad thoughts to creep in and i think as a fan when when those thoughts are starting to creep into your mind you worry about them creeping into the mind of of the the team themselves um it, it felt like game four for a large part of that game it was it almost had the the feeling of the lightning sort of trying to break the Leafs mentally and I thought that kind of coming out with a, a bit of push in the third period and getting a few pucks behind Vasilevsky maybe quelled some of that but it, it just has that that feeling of, with each passing game it feels like Tampa has pushed harder and harder and the Leafs are just going to have to be able to come out and match that with a response of their own in Game 5. Or like you said, Keith, the, the series might get away from them just like that. It's it's one thing like to look at. There's like two ways that I've been kind of going back and forth and looking at this is that they haven't really struggled that much to score on Vasilevsky. When they haven't scored on him for long periods of time, it's because they haven't, they haven't been getting chances. When they're getting their chances, they're scoring. He has not stole a game yet. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, cause he's capable of doing it. So is it coming or is this, you know, is this, is this kind of be the kind of trend moving forward that they are going to be able to get, you know, three or four pucks past him every night? Well, I think going into the series, the most obvious advantage that Tampa had was in net. And the fact that it, it hasn't been the case, it hasn't really been an advantage for them. And I don't know if the Leafs have fully capitalized on that to the extent that maybe you would hope that they would have been able to. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It, if you'd have told me that the series would be tied two two after after four games, I'd sign up. But if you'd have told me it was going to be two two tied after four games and Vasilevsky would have an eight eighty five, that would scare me a little bit. Yeah, it, it just. I think it speaks to the way that the Lightning have been kind of carrying the play a little bit more with each passing game. And yeah, it just kind of comes back to how the Leafs are going to be able to respond in game five. The series is far from over, but if they aren't able to show some kind of resolve and they don't have the benefit of the doubt at this point, basically, and that's really all it comes down to until they prove that they are able to answer that bell and put a team away. And again, no, no easy test when you're facing the Tampa Bay lightning of all teams, but no one cares. It doesn't matter. They need to put a team away. And well, that it, is, it, that is part of what it comes down to. It's, it's this perception. Like it's, it's the benefit of the doubt, uh, where you look at like Tampa Bay gets blown out in game one. They win two of the next three and now everyone's ready to hand them the series. Whereas the Leafs get blown out in game four and, and they're still in a position where they can go and win two of the next three. Two of them are going to be on home ice and actually win the series rather than just, you know, be handed the series after four games. Right. And, and but no one kind of is operating under the mindset that they're going to get that done just because 
because of not only the history of the Leafs but the history of Tampa and and it's not an entirely unfair thing to think but like let's let's see what they do with this like there's still you know well, I, good opportunity I, I think just how demoralizing that start and you know ultimately how the the game went in game four I, I think that's a real factor for a lot of fans and we're just hoping that it, it, it doesn't play into the minds of the players the same way because when you come out and you have an opportunity to kind of take a stranglehold on a series like that and you lay a complete egg and the game is basically over eight minutes in, I just don't know how that can't be something that kind of swings momentum or or just kind of adds confidence to to what the Lightning already have going. The, the fact that they were able to really impose their will early on in that game just kind of... I don't know. It, it took the wind out of my sails a little bit. Uh, we're all fans of this team. You know, we try to be objective and stuff in our analysis as much as we can. But it, sometimes it isn't just about objectively analyzing something. It's about what you feel in your fucking bones. And as a Leafs fan, w- when a game is going that way, it doesn't feel good in the bones. Yeah, well, it's the scar tissue that we've kind of accumulated over the years that naturally makes us kind of feel that way. But it. It, that you know, eight minutes into that game, it made it very hard to be objective about the remaining, you know, three games of the series. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, well, th- I mean, that's it. That was the only time really and in the series right, where the it time. looks like the Leafs are just skating uphill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in, in games two and three, where they may maybe weren't, you know, and I'm not going to say that they deserve to win both of those games, but. It, they didn't look that bad like that. That's a, and then, you know, it's again, like maybe you're only talking about the first period and a half first period of, of game five or sorry of game four, where they looked atrocious and they kind of got it back on the, on the rails a little bit after that. So it's, you know, we are hype, hyper stressing over kind of a very small segment of this series right now. Yeah, and I, I know I already gave them credit for kind of having that pushback in the third period of Game 4 and getting some pucks behind Vasilevsky, but I also don't really want to give them too much credit for finding their legs when the game was well over with. You know, they're like, yeah. they, they, were, they weren't coming back from a five-goal deficit in the third period against Tampa Bay. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. So it's... I think there's something to be said for like the pressure coming off of them at that point and playing a little more freely. It's garbage time. Yeah. So I I don't really want to give them a whole lot of credit for it. I I think that being able to continue to make Vasilevsky look human is an important factor that they can, you know, hopefully build off of moving forward. But yeah, I, I don't think that they deserve too many cookies for, you know, showing a little bit of life in that third period after not showing any for the first part of the game. Well, the thing is, is if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about you know this the the concept of killer instinct and all that, you know, Tampa Bay clearly has it. They've won two cups in a row, so they've got a team on the ropes right now. So the first ten minutes of of Game Five are going to be it's going to be everything Tampa Bay has to put their foot on their throats for the rest of the series. So they got to come out flying in game five and, and weather that storm. And my suggestion would be to not start Justin Hall. If that's <laughs> I was going gonna to say be- that. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that's getting a lot of play and, and probably rightfully so. I mean, it, it's hard to say exactly what might've happened had that first shift not gone the way it did. But I think when you're expecting a, a massive push from a team like Tampa in their home burn, when they're kind of got their backs against the ropes, it, I, I just, I don't understand the decision to kind of, 
to go that way with the starting lineup. It, I would like to see – I know it's different when you're on the road and when you're at home, but I think moving forward I would like to see Keith try to dictate those things more than trying to uh, respond to what he thinks the Lightning are going to do. Like get Muzzin and Brody out there to start the game and keep things quiet. Get your big guys out there to start the game and get them some puck touches. And I think that the, the Hockey Night in Canada panel was really onto something uh, during game four when they mentioned that, you know, you're not starting Matthews. It's, it's difficult for him to get into the game when, you know, maybe you get an early penalty or something like that. Or before he even gets on the ice, the Leafs are already down and chasing the game. I think you, you, you want to ride with your best players and, you know, try to allow them to get you off to a good start. And, yeah, <laughs> starting Justin Hall against a, a ferocious Lightning team with their backs against the wall probably was not the, the best decision. Yeah, not right. I mean, like, gun to your head, who was the best defenseman in game four? Like it, it felt like everyone had a play, at least one play, where they look like a total stooge. I, I still think the most reliable guys, and in, even in that game, are probably Muzzin and Brody. I know, as you said, they've all had their rough moments in particular in that game. But, uh, you know, on the whole for the series, I think that those two have mostly been really good. And if I'm looking for a pair to kind of quiet things down or just weather a storm. Those are the two that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, for sure. There's no question. Um, so, so what other lineup stuff do you guys want to see? Like bunting has been moved around a little bit. Um, Where are you guys at on the whole argument going on right now about splitting up Matthews and Marner? I think that there may have been some merit to that idea on the road where they aren't able to control the matchup so much. Um, but I think at home, I wouldn't even consider splitting them up right now. I don't think there's a guarantee that Mariner is able to get Tavares going, and we're certainly going to get to Tavares at some point here. And yeah, I, I, your fastball is Matthews and Mariner, and I don't think that you want to give that up. Yeah, no, the same same thing. Like if you're, if they're really struggling in game, I can under I can see it. Maybe you know a couple of looks here and there just to see what happens or see how the other team responds to it, but. No, I mean it's it's one of the top two or three lines in hockey this year. I I, I wouldn't I, I don't understand. I guess the like absolute outcry for it. it, it it's just it, you know that they're good together. Like you know what you have with that. If, if if it's not going in, like it just feels like one of those situations where it's better to stay the course than try to break up something that's that's you know consistently worked all year long. But like I said, yeah, on the road, if if they're really kind of shutting them down and Matthews is getting absolutely nothing, and Marner could maybe be used in a way that you know frees him up a little bit more because of the attention that Matthews is drawing. Sure, but I don't see why it needs to be like a, a beginning of the game kind of change, like a lot of people are calling for. I, I also think that there's an element of Keith wanting to kind of uh, reassure his guys that, you know, not make a panic move, I guess, in that sense of after a game that went the way game four did and you kind of be really reactionary and start throwing things into a blender, I think kind of to borrow a line from a former coach, kind of steady on the rudder might be the, the way to go here. Yeah. But I, he does lo- he does love a line blender and in, in, in game and he and he's yet to do that so I can understand it to an extent I, I mean to a point steady on the rudder I'm not talking about no lineup changes whatsoever or whatever but when you're talking yeah. about a, a, a duo 
that was, you know, arguably the best in the NHL this past season. I'm going to give them a little more rope to to find it here. Yeah. While we're talking about Matthews and lineups, um, special teams have obviously been like the almost the story uh, of you know not just this series but the playoffs. There's been so many power plays. It's been fucking um, exhausting, man. It, it's yeah. It's it's not entertaining. It's it's not good hockey. Um, and of course, it's you know the the, the year that the Leafs kind of uh, adjust to play a little bit more of that playoff style. It seems that this is the year that they they call it like they were calling it the regular season. It seems to they're calling to at least it harder than they were it's in the regular worse. season. Yeah. Like the, and the yeah. ticky tacky stuff is the worst. Like they're letting so many things go after the whistle and like that scrum between Point and Riley last night, where everyone else gets involved. And Craig Simpson mentioned it on the broadcast, like. No penalties out of a situation like that, but you're calling every little ticky-tack stick on a leg or stick on an arm. Everything, it, it, it's a parade to the penalty box, and it's it's just not an enjoyable viewing experience. As soon as somebody gets somewhat beat to the outside, there's a penalty. Like, there's going to be a penalty. Like, it, it, it's almost, you just know, you can just feel when penalties are coming now. And, and I don't even think, like, yeah, it's a great point the Leafs did kind of, you could see it in game one and game two. Like they came prepared for a series like, like Montreal last year where you could get cross-checked in the mouth, standing there after the whistle and there'd be no call. And, and absolutely everything's getting, was getting called before and after the whistle early in the series. Now the, after the whistle stuff's called is stopped. And I, I think that's, that's gotta be the most frustrating thing is that call it out. You're going to call it, but call it the same way all game and all series or else it's impossible to adjust to. So what I'm kind of getting to here with Matthews is like, I don't think that this is an adjustment that we're going to see by any means, but just something I kind of wanted to bring up because there have certainly been some stretches where he is, you know, getting cold on the bench. Um, His ice time is probably a little lower than I'd like to see it. He's kind of just under 20 minutes a night right now for the series. Um, And, you know, they, they, Tooled around with him on, on the penalty kill a little bit was that last season and, and it didn't last very long but like if you're Sheldon Keefe you have to be like I mean you got three games left here to to try to win this series and if they continue to call like if, if, they're, if you're getting three five eight power plays per game the rest of the way are, are you really just going to be you know satisfied with getting the best player on the planet right now out there for like 18 minutes a night because he doesn't play shorthanded like that's that's going to be a tough way to go down if that's the way it, it ends up going right i'd rather double shift him find ways to get him out more at five on five than 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 throw him in on a penalty kill cold and you know without much preparation for it not only not because i don't think he could do it but just because uh, like I don't know if that's really valuable minutes for him. I know they have a great power play and can generate some off or a great penalty kill and generate some offense and stuff like that. But you know, I don't want him catching a puck off the wrist or something, trying to block a shot. Just no, I I, I'm with you in the, I'm with you on the ice time thing, but I would be, you know, double shifting them with, you know, getting them out there with the guys from the fourth line or getting them out there, you know, third and fourth line where you can get out against some of the lower competition, like especially at home. Yeah, just uh, be afraid of, afraid of him blocking a shot or something. The, the problem with that is that there's been so many penalties that it's disru- uh, that it has disrupted the flow of the game so much that you can't even really be doing that. And it's difficult to find those opportunities to get Matthews out there with appropriate line mates because of, you know, Mitch is killing penalties and then you've got Mikheyev killing penalties, Kerfoot's killing penalties. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just difficult to find those minutes for him in that sense. And I don't really know what the answer is. 
Um, I, I, I agree with you, Keith, like maybe dropping him in on the penalty kill when he hasn't done it, it, it again, might seem like a, an overreactionary kind of move. And it's, it, you know, something that he doesn't really have a lot of experience with. That's not to say, I don't think he could figure it out. Austin Matthews is arguably the best player in the world. Uh, he, he could probably figure out how to kill penalties, but it, it's, it is a really interesting question. I don't know what they're going to do to, to free up Matthews a little more, but I, I'm hoping that once they get back home and they're able to kind of dictate those matchups a little more, hopefully get them away from Sorelli and Point because they've been absolutely caved in against those two so far in the series, um, which it, that's another issue in itself. I don't think that there's as good as Point and Sorelli are, uh, and Sorelli is one of the best defensive forwards in the league. We're talking about Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner here. They shouldn't be getting caved into that extent against anybody. I think that with Matthews here, like it's it's you know the, the double shifting him, you know it, it might help to get his ice time up. But like if if it's a situation where he's you know not seeing the ice for eight minutes in the middle of the period, and you yeah. double shift him at the end of it, like you're just getting two crappy shifts probably rather than yeah. you know doing yeah. anything to kind of boost your odds. That's so, kind of what I was getting to with the game flow thing. Yeah, and it's like it's almost you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say like you're on PK one now by any means, but it's almost like if you find yourself in that kind of situation, do you stick him out there just to get him on the ice? If if you're like okay, we just killed for three minutes and we just took another penalty, like let's start Matthews, get him out there. Keep the him. fact that we're even been talking about you know killing that many consecutive minutes of penalties like as if it's you know a foregone conclusion just just kind of speaks to the ridiculous nature of the way this series has been and the entire playoffs has been officiated so far yeah they're completely like they're lost they're they're falling in in the ocean they don't know which way is up with with this officiating um right now it seems the guards were up so high heading into the postseason that they've just overcompensated so much it's it's really had a negative impact on the games yeah yeah it's um no it's it's definitely not uh not great for the product i don't think and and yeah it's frustrating it's frustrating to watch um and not yeah, like again, just not the way not the way you want to go down in a series if that's yeah. if that's what it is. Like it's just so much. Like it doesn't feel like long stretches of these games. It's like when when does the playoff hockey start? Yeah, you know? like this is just this is just power play. When are we going to so, get these two juggernaut teams going head to head for you know like an extended period of five on five play? We just really have not seen that. Yeah, it's been a pain in the ass for sure. Um. So, I mean, you you mentioned him briefly, Nick. Uh, John Tavares mm. has just got to be so much better these last three games. And, I, I mean, I don't know if this is um, – like, it just it just seems like the – uh, the 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 clock is ticking on this guy right now you know it's it's i know that we like we we will often just kind of look after a while and realize he's still putting up his points but um man he is just lead footed out there and uh, just not been a contributor we're at a point where our 11 million dollar captain has given us just about as much as you could reasonably expect from a guy like nick abrazizi or fucking pontus holmberg at this point. And I don't think that that's a total exaggeration. Like he has been a ghost in this series and he just doesn't look like he has the feet to keep up with the pace of play at even strength. And then on the power play, they're kind of, they're zeroing in on that little area right in front of the net with that on the wing where Matthews is and where Tavares is, it's kind of getting 
boxed out really easily and it seems like they're trying to force things to Tavares in the slot on the power play and it's just not there for him and he hasn't been able to generate anything at even strength um if we're talking about his biggest contribution being the face-off numbers that's it's yeah, just I'm sick of hearing that yeah i don't want to hear about it anymore where this is a, an 11 million dollar player what is he the fifth sixth highest paid player in the league and he has been one of the you know most insignificant members of the team through four games here yeah without a doubt like there i mean it's hard to think of maybe apart from i don't know simmons and clifford i don't i don't really know of another forward who's doing less than him right now like he's but and even simmons and clifford they're bringing something unique to the yeah. to the group when they're in there like Tavares is just complete milk toast right now there's nothing there yeah oh yeah you, you felt more impact from simmons over those first two games good or bad yeah. like his identity was all over those first two games whereas Tavares, it's just like is he even drafted i've seen him make one good pass in the offensive zone to nylander in game in game three and that's about all I remember him doing so far, which is insane, like you said, for an $11 million player that's your captain that's supposed to be the guy that's supposed to kind of drag you into the fight. Yeah, and when the team is built this way, you know, you're you're built around four highly skilled, highly paid forwards. And I know Nylander doesn't really deserve to be in the same echelon when you're talking about, you know, pay grade or whatever. But we're talking about the big four. This was the philosophy that this team was built on. And if Matthews and Mariner are taking those difficult minutes against Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli, and they're getting shut down, the, plain and simple, the Leafs need something out of Tavares and Nylander, and they just haven't gotten it. Yeah, that's that was the whole thing, right? With with getting Tavares is is having two first lines, like you know, pick your poison. Who are you gonna who are you gonna hone in on tonight? And it, he's made that decision very easy. For, you know, for the Lightning, they haven't even had to think about him. They could easily throw their third line out against him and not have to even – that would probably absolutely destroy them, and I'm sure they have in the minutes that they've played. Like, it's it sucks to see because – and I don't know what the answer is. Like, I don't and, – and I know I just talked about not breaking up Matthews and Marner, and I, I just don't think it, you should have to do that. Like, I don't think that you should have to have, send Mitch Marner down to get John Tavares going yeah. when John Tavares is more than capable of doing it himself. Yeah, like at this point, would you say it's fair to assume that the Lightning would be more concerned about the David Camp unit 100%. than whatever unit John Tavares has been on? Camp, Engvall, and Mikheyev are much more threatening. Right and now. as much as that's a credit to those guys because they've all played really well and they've been huge parts of this series for the Leafs, that that's just it's not good enough from Tavares. The bottom line, it, he just needs to find a way to impose himself on this series. And get involved and just, I don't know if, if, if yeah, if I, he's rendered me almost speechless just because of how d- disappointing he's been. You look at like, like as soon as a guy goes out, like, like Mikheyev, for example, he's played really well when he's played with Camp and, and, and Engvall and then, and Kasha and Kerfoot, like they kind of go cold as soon as they get on that line. It's like. I don't. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I, I do. It, 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 if you really kind of boil it down and try to figure out what the hell's going on, it's, it's just foot speed. Like he just, yeah, he's just he, not, he's a he's step just slow there. to everything. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a step behind everything, and that's just uh, it's a really troubling thing because it's not something that you usually see turn around and get reversed the other way when uh, <laughs> a player's on the other side of thirty and a guy like Tavares who. 
you know, speed has never been his thing. And I think that was maybe something that made you worry less about that breaking down over time because he was always able to find success without being the, the fastest player. But the fact that he seems to have lost even a half step, it, it's really been apparent. And I, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, you're, you're just not going anywhere by paying your captain $11 million to be Rob Niedermeyer. Yeah. yeah. Like in the playoffs. Like it's... It's um, it's bad right now. So, yeah, he's got to find it. He's got to find his game. Um, and listen, he had seventy eight points this year. He's clearly capable of doing it. He's just he just got to do it. It did feel like a really quiet seventy eight points, though. And I mean, I know we we talked about Tavares plenty throughout the course of the season. And you mentioned it, Keith. Yeah, you look and he's got his numbers, but it never really felt like he was a, an overly forceful or impactful player for any consistent stretch during the regular season either. It, it seems like this is something that's kind of been building and it's all coming to a head at the absolute worst time. I'm willing to chalk some of that up to just how good Matthews was and just like our perception of how good players can be and and no you know in comparison he wouldn't look that good like I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit for the doubt like I don't think Yeah, but what did seven. he score? 27 goals? Like we're yeah. talking about an 11 million dollar captain here. Like 27 goals and under a point a game isn't fucking good enough. No, it's true, especially when you consider how how high scoring was all year. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, when when the contract was signed, this is, you know, kind of what you expected it's like get get your value make your hay in those first few years like this is gonna be like next season's year five of seven like you know this this is kind of what we expected to happen he's still playing center i don't know if you know i was kind of expecting him to be on the wing by this point to be honest exactly even at the time i think that yeah we we probably would have guessed by now he's on the wing um so i mean it's gonna be kind of a, a a a, a, I don't know how steep a decline, but it's going to be a decline from from here on. So, um, you know, how can you work around that, and and you know, how can he kind of find a way to contribute? Because yeah, right now it's just it's not good enough. Well, I so desperately want him to make us eat all of these words when the puck drops for Game Five, and frankly, he yep. needs to be the one leading the charge. Uh, I know that it's been Matthews and Mariner that have led the charge all season, but it's crunch time now. And if this is the guy that you've pegged to be your leader, you need some leadership. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. If, uh, if he's not good, these, these last three games, um, yeah, that's, that's not a good omen at all, at all. Um, well, in the midst of all the, the negativity, I, I do just want to shout out Jack Campbell again, because he, he was stellar in game three. Some of the stops that he made when the game was on the line there, uh, he stole them one. And I think that's, you know, it's encouraging in a sense to know that he is capable of doing that. But the fact that he was forced to, and the Leafs continued to, to get outplayed the way that they did in the next game is just kind of a concerning trend. I know that was supposed to be a positive and I turned it into another (laughs) negative real quick, but (laughs) that's where we're at. Maple Leafs hockey, baby catch the fever. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, you could you could reasonably make the argument, you know, that in a in a series with, with Andre Vasilevsky, he's he's at least been as good. You know, I'm maybe not. I'm not going to say he's been the better goalie all series, but he's been as good as Vasilevsky, and he's had moments of uh, brilliance, like you said. So I I would feel so much better about him if he didn't let in that goal that went directly through his glove. Like that, just that the, one, the that one, one sunk me. Like that, yeah, that one was tough. 
For me, I almost kind of let Campbell completely off the hook in game four just because the rest of the team didn't show up at all. True, but that was just the only really like bad goal. Yeah, I agree with you. That's one that you definitely like to see him stop. But at that point, I I think that the game is so far gone and there's so many other guilty parties to to blame that it's I I had a hard time kind of finding much fault with Campbell's game. Yeah, if if he could... uh... I mean, he's going to have to be solid, but uh, another uh, steal, another one, like really steal one. That that would uh, that would be nice. That would be nice because you know the Leafs have. Like, he's obviously had some great games. He's made some big saves. Uh, you know, especially like you said, game three. Uh, Leafs have given him lots of uh, lots of goal support. Like if if you run into it here, where Vasilevsky's kind of found his groove after starting starting a little little tough kind of struggle to start the series for him if 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 he's able to kind of lock it down you're going to need Campbell to uh, uh to be up to that duel right and I think you have to expect that Andre Vasilevsky is going to find it and lock it down at some point here and again just kind of gets back to how much are, are these last couple games gonna or not the last couple because they won game three but how much is that game four and even game two gonna bite the Leafs a little bit if they weren't able to capitalize on you know Andre Vasilevsky at his lowest point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if they, if, if Tampa wins this and they, they win two of these three games, you know, Vasilevsky's probably going to steal one of them. Like it's just the law of averages yeah, he, is going to kick he's in. He's due to steal one. And yeah. there's no one more capable of doing it than him. Many questions to be answered <laughs> in the next few days. Why here, do this gentlemen. To uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that I have you guys to talk it out with, though. It it, it helps. <laughs> uh, Nick, um, how how are the waters, bud? You're a little bit a little over a week, I guess, into the into the lobster season now. So we we've just gotten the one podcast out here so far <laughs> during the, the the series, and probably we'll we'll talk to you on the other side, I guess, uh, more more than likely. Um, but hopefully, the least kind of get to the point where uh, where. Um, yeah, let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. It has been a lot easier to get up and go to the boat in the morning after games one and game three than it was after game two and game four. Man, the head is heavy getting up in the morning after a game like that. But uh, yeah, the season's going pretty well. Again, uh, really proud of uh, producer T. He's uh, he's come in and really you know picked up everything on the job really quick. Literally, he, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he he's totally killing it. Uh, really happy to have him. It's nice to to be able to work alongside such a close friend. And uh, yeah, hoping that the, the weather kind of warms up a little bit. But we've been fortunate in terms of uh, rough seas and wind so far. I'm sure we'll pay for that at some point here. But, yeah, it's been good so far. That's good. I've been a little uh, I've been a little out of the loop on this series. Um, yeah, we got just, two resident cool just guys a little here bit. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, game one. And maybe, maybe this just means that I got to not watch game five. Because yeah, well, I was thinking that too. Game one, I was at Sting in Halifax. Great show. Uh, game three, I was I was uh, at a, my buddy's bachelor party over the weekend, so I was kind of uh, keeping an eye on it, like I was streaming on my phone, kind of thing, like keeping an eye. But uh, you know, I was I was kind of distracted, and then um, you know, I saw the the two tough losses. But um, I, I did flip over, like I said, I didn't watch the third period. Uh, game four, I was just 
I was done and I watched an episode of Ozark. So I've been able to really take in a lot of great content when the Leafs haven't been providing very good content. So yeah, that sounds a lot better than just pacing back and forth in front of the TV, <laughs> wanting to break things. I'll be dialed in for these last few here. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that's a good, good thing for the Leafs or not. All right, gentlemen, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. And, um, it could be uh could be a real fun episode next time we uh Leafs and six. We'll close it with some positivity here. How about that? Leafs and six, catch the passion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna stick with my Leafs and seven so I can feel smart. Yeah, we're all gonna feel real smart in a couple days, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>